Well, how are y'all doing today, church? It is a joy to see everybody here, and we're going to have a wonderful meal here in a little bit. Got over 500 pieces of chicken ordered, and so y'all should have plenty. And even if you didn't bring anything today, if you forgot, today was the day we are eating, we're going to have plenty of food, so come join us for that. Yes, last week we celebrated the good news of the resurrection, this powerful and amazing truth of Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, uh, giving us hope and promise for life and life that is eternal. And today we are going to continue on with that. And the way that we're going to do that is to look at just, just one of the stories about Jesus after the resurrection. There are several that we have in the, the accounts of Jesus, of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to look at one that's just hands down one of my favorites. We're going to look at the story of Thomas. And usually we say, doubting Thomas. But I have been uh, preaching for so long that I, I really hate saying doubting Thomas. It seems so unfair uh, because the other disciples don't get labels, right? You don't have Peter the pansy, right? Or <laughs> James the, the lame or anything like that. You know, it's just Thomas that gets a label, the doubter, right? And um, he's always close to my heart because I remember growing up, uh, going to Sunday school and being part of a church. Uh, that it seemed like um, somehow or another I had missed out on the ability to believe in the things that my, my friends believed in. That it seemed like all of them had no problems believing in the resurrection and the virgin birth and the miracles of Jesus. And I was always kind of like, something within me is broken, right? Because I, like my believer is broken. It does not work in the same way that it seems like so many people do. And that they seem to have an easy time accepting it and if it wasn't the case that they were accepting it, I, I was just kind of convinced, like, we're all just lying, right? We're all just kind of kidding each other about these things because the way that I grew up, my dad was a geologist, uh, hard science, and he was a very faithful person, yet at the same time, some of the stories that I heard in the Bible, I said, I don't know how that ever happened, right? And so um, I love the story of Thomas because it not only speaks to that part of my life, but also I find it is uh, unbelievably helpful to those that struggle with their belief as well. And that uh, we have in the, the Bible an account of somebody who clearly doubted, clearly had beliefs that were uh, not in line with what we usually think about in terms of Christianity. And he's not the only one. In the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, um, Jesus is there after the resurrection. He appears to his disciples, and he tells them, um, Go ye therefore and make disciples of, of all nations, right? And before that, it said, all of them were worshiping him. All of them were amazed. And then there's this great line. It says, some of them doubted. I don't know about you, but I've always said to myself, Lord, you know, if you ever show me one of those miracles, I'll, I'll believe everything, right? And yet, in Matthew, you have that account of Jesus is right there. He's resurrected. He's probably glowing like the sun. And yet, it says, some of them doubted. Right? It's so beautiful to think about, because not after that, he says, some of them doubted. It's not as if Jesus says, you seven over there, there's the door, right? Instead, he continues to include them and welcome them and invite them. And I think it's such a powerful thing for us to talk about today. So just one of the stories, it's found in John chapter 20, verse 24 through 31. And um, it says this, it says, Thomas one, the one called Didymus, 
One of the twelve wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger in the wounds left by the nails, and put my hands into his side, I won't believe. After eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side, no more disbelief, believe. Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happier are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll. But these things are written so that you will believe what, that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing you will have life in his name. And so just a little bit of background. It's after the resurrection. Uh, the first two people to carry the good news of Jesus' resurrection are women. And then Jesus appears to the disciples. And then um, finally, uh, they get to a place where you talk about Thomas. And apparently, Thomas was off doing, doing who knows what, right? Uh, before when he, Jesus appears to the disciples. And even though they've got a faithful witness, Jesus, I mean, Thomas hears it from the women, hears it from the other disciples. And yet he says, until I see it with my own eyes, until I can put my, my hands on the nail marks and the wounds, I'm not going to believe. And what I've always loved about the story, and uh, there's many things, but what I've always loved about it is the fact that Thomas is willing to tell them up front, here's the terms of what it would take for me to believe. And he's at least clear. He says, until I see it, until I put my hands upon it, uh, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has been resurrected. And I, I love it just because he, he does that up front. So oftentimes when you talk with people about their faith and why they're not a Christian, uh, they don't really have a good answer, at least not one that they'll share. It usually comes down to thinking about it in terms of preference. Like, I like chocolate, I like coffee, not so sure about Jesus, right? It's kind of a preference thing. It's not a matter of hard thought out logic or reason, but rather just kind of like some people believe, some don't. What are we to do? And yet Thomas says, when I see it, when I touch it, when I experience it, then I will believe. And when you talk with people about their beliefs, uh, oftentimes they might have a reason. I've run across people left and right that have given reasons or given thoughts about why they're not believers, why they don't trust in the good news of the resurrection. Many times it's an intellectual thing. It just says, you know, it sounds like good stories, but when it comes to miracles or some of the doctrines of the church, it's just not credible in the way that I think it should be. Or, um, and that's a very small group of people. Mostly when you talk with people about um, why it was maybe that they went to church growing up and then they left their faith, it usually comes down to a relationship. Something happened, right? They had a friend in the church that betrayed them. They had a leader in the church that failed. They had something like that happen. It has nothing so much to do with their convictions about who Jesus Christ is. It's just that something happened and it left them with a bitter taste in their mouth. And so they never returned to church and they barely practiced their faith. Uh, and on and on down the list we could go as to why people struggle with their beliefs, but when I begin to look at it and think about it, 
something that's really true over and over again is that everybody has some kind of belief. Many times people think they're just filled with doubt. Usually what it is is that they have a stronger belief in something else than they have a belief in Jesus. They have a stronger belief in something else besides who Jesus is. And that stronger belief might be in something that somebody told them. Maybe it was a college professor that told them the Bible wasn't true and they didn't believe anything else that that college professor said, but that one thing stuck. Or maybe it is that they um, have an experience in which they say to themselves, I can't really believe because this far outweighs anything that I've ever seen in the Bible. Uh, over and over again, you'll see that, that it's more about a, a balance, a reasoning of saying this is more important than my belief in Jesus Christ. And yet the, the story that is so powerful is when we see Thomas, it's not so much about him actually getting the evidence as it is about Christ appearing. It says after eight days, eight days his disciples were getting in a house and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side, no more disbelief, believe. Thomas responded with, my Lord and my God. And when I look at that passage and I think about it, you say that it really isn't so much about Thomas getting what he thought he had to have as it was Christ appearing, Christ being present in his life, Christ becoming real, getting to a place where he had experienced who Christ was, and that's what changed him in a mighty and a powerful way. When I was uh, first starting out in ministry, I served two churches up in Canton, and I got an invitation to go and preach at the county jail. And um, I not only did I get to preach, but I would go with them, and we would do Bible study with some of the people that were in there. And so we were dealing with people that are stuck in jail all the day, and then they come to the Bible study, or they come to the, the time of worship, and they get to visit with me and some of the other people that were with me. And we had a young man that was there, and he came up to me, and he said, I've, uh, I've been reading the Bible. I don't have much else to do. I've been reading the Bible. And, uh, and he said, but... I really am kind of stuck on this, this one thing. And so we talked a little bit about what he was hung up on, and he said, uh, why does the Bible not have anything about dinosaurs? That's a good question. Why does the Bible not have anything about dinosaurs? And so I'm about 24 years old, just starting out in ministry, and so I gave him a very profound answer. I said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and... Um, so I left that night, and I had about a month. We would preach about once a month to go out there. And, and so I spent about three weeks going through all of the um, apologetics I could find. There wasn't a whole lot about dinosaurs, right? And then, you know, it was the early days of the Internet, and so I'm looking online, like, what do you tell people about dinosaurs in the Bible? And there's some good answers out there. There's the behemoth. There's other creatures in the Bible. And so I read up about three weeks into it and prepared, and I had everything ready, and I was about ready to unload on him. When I got there, I was like, you're just going to need to sit down. I've got about 30 minutes worth of explanation. And I uh, got to the point where I, I greeted him and said, hi. And I said, so are you still worried about dinosaurs? And he said, nope. Which is like, well, there goes three weeks of my life, but I just... 
I'm ready next time, but this is kind of anticlimactic. He's like, nope, not a problem. And he said, what, well, what happened? And he said, well, you know, you know John. And he was talking about one of the other prisoners. I said, yep, I know him. John was about 6'8", probably around 320 pounds. Huge man. And he had this gigantic voice. He would lead the songs when they worshipped. And he was kind of their leader. Which, if you've ever wondered about how do you do good prison ministry, find the biggest and meanest one and convert him first, right? And uh, he um, had talked with this young man. And the young man had expressed his concerns about dinosaurs. And John said, I used to have doubts as well. And he would give his testimony. He would say, this is where I was. This is what got me into jail. And then Christ became real to me. And everything changed. And so he had had somebody not only witness to him and say, this is what Christ has done, but he also had somebody follow up with him and say, this is how you can have faith as well. So I stood there for about a second and I said, so no need for dinosaur explanations, like, not a one. But he couldn't stop telling other people about Jesus. This is the neatest thing. And I don't know how it is for you, but that's what I found to be abundantly true. I've read so many books trying to reason my way into faith. I've worked my way into different debates and arguments, and I've studied up on it, but at the end of the day, There comes a place where we desperately need God to be real in our lives. And I don't know what that will look like for you. Maybe it's in a time of prayer. Maybe it's in a Bible study. Maybe it's just when a friend reaches out to you and says, hey, I've been praying for you, and I'd love to talk with you about your faith. One way or another, we somehow put our hands on those nail marks, and on that resurrected body, through our hearts, and God becomes more real than we ever imagined. Somehow all those doubts fall away, all those fears are gone, and we're just in the presence of something far greater than we ever imagined. That's the beautiful truth of not only Thomas, but countless other people who have gone from struggling with doubts and fears to being a people who now believe in a risen Lord. So I just ask you a simple question. What would it mean for your life to either reaffirm it or say the words for the first time, those words that Thomas said, his confession, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God, and they're important, both of them. Lord, Lord means we're going to do what he says we need to do. And God says that he is almighty and all-powerful and able to do everything that he says he's going to do. When we put those together, we have a faith and a belief that can move mountains and change our hearts and our lives. Last week, I invited you to Spend the time between Easter and Pentecost lifting up to God whatever it is that you want to see change in your life or in your community. And today I invite you to do the same thing, but this time around just to ask the simple question of if Jesus is Lord, if He is God, 
then surely even more is possible than I ever imagined. Let us pray. It is to you, Lord, that we lift up our hearts and our lives. You know us. You created us. You know our doubts, our fears, our hang-ups, our anxieties, our worries. And you alone are the one who can answer all those things. We're not going to find it within ourselves. We're not going to find it within the world. We need you. We need your spirit to work within us and lead and guide our hearts this day. We trust that you are there. We know that you love us. And so help us as we confess here today in silence or out loud that you are our Lord and our God. You are our salvation. You are our hope. You are the promise that will be fulfilled. We pray for our church and for our community, Lord. Help us to know more of you and to believe in what you alone can do. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.